0: Listeners, Anna here. I hope you enjoyed the second episode of My Dilettante Life, where I spoke with guest Dan Niebel about his career playing music professionally. We had a great conversation and covered a lot of topics, but I found one bit of our dialogue particularly interesting. You won't find the following discussion in the regular episode, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Is there something that I have not asked you that you would want to be asked about your experience, um in the realm of music and being a professional musician.
1: I would say, I would say your interview has been very positive.
0: Good. I'm glad to hear that.
1: (laughs) um, There are potentially a lot of not very positive things in the music world. Mm And I'm sure that's the same with every career.
0: Is there something in particular you'd want to mention or highlight that you think is important for folks to know?
1: Well, we, we did kind of talk a little bit about you know, injuries and probably the mental side of things. And those are, are, are kind of a, a big thing that isn't addressed as much as it would be nice if it were. Politics happen in music just as much as any other career. And it's just as annoying. Okay. I have been fired from a job simply because I didn't have an association with the local university in town not because I was not a good player for it. And just things like that where it's like, really? And then I looked back on it and was like, well, I didn't actually earn that much there anyways, so maybe I didn't really want to be playing there.
0: Well, and I know in some places, for example, like nowadays, um, blind auditions are just accepted because that way they can, like, avoid any, hopefully, um, Influences based on someone's identity, whether, you know, that's, it's like gender or race or any or whether they know the people on the selection committee. Um, but I assume that's goal. That's probably not necessarily that that occurs in some places, but it probably isn't everywhere. And even still with blind auditions, so, you can find out who is who, I would assume.
1: So most auditions are blind. Okay. At least until the finals. And then they sometimes find out who you are. Where it gets annoying is like having tenure. That can be really political. Working in academia can be really political. You know, just someone decides they don't like you and then they're able to...
0: Muscle you out.
1: Yeah, get rid of you. Um, Often people who are on the committee can figure out who someone is behind the screen, especially if they've played with them before. And I'm sure I would be in the same position.
0: I mean, it's hard not like you can ask people to be neutral and you can take all the precautions. But like you said, if you if you have played with them before, if you have that finely tuned an ear, there's only so much I'm assuming people can do to control for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing that has happened. um, So it used to be very difficult for women to get jobs in professional orchestras. And uh, when they started the blind audition process, you know, it became much more equitable. But they even had to do things like have carpets going out to the, out to the chair so you couldn't tell someone's in high heels. Yeah. Things like that would even bias people. Um, Thankfully, I think for the most part that has improved a lot. Although, you know. Sexism no. certainly hasn't gone away in music.
0: <laughs> Would you say being yourself a like tall white guy, like do you find that that um, affects how you're perceived in when you go into an audition?
1: Not necessarily an audition for performance. Um, I do feel like it actually reduces my chances of getting a teaching degree, teaching job. I think, you know, if they find two people who are equally qualified and one of them is a white male and the other one is not, they'll probably go the other way. And, you know, on some level, I kind of don't blame them for that, but it is a little bit.
0: It's something you have to take into consideration. (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
1: You know, because, of course, I also feel like I'm very qualified for the jobs that I'm applying for. (laughs)
0: Sure, and yeah, when it's your when it's your individual livelihood, then um, trends or historical imbalances might not feel as immediate as your desire to have a regular paycheck and a, right. and like a consistent employment.
1: Yes, sure. And, uh, I mean, in in general, like music is still pretty imbalanced towards white people and Asian people. And I I don't know how to fix that, you know. Because if if you want to really be competitive, it really helps having, you know, lessons from when you're seven.
0: And the money to pay for them and the the parental support. Yeah.
1: yeah. And also, you know, a school that does things that supports that. And I think it's getting better, but it's probably going to take generations before it ever really is truly representative of everyone.
0: Well, and just, so the work that you're talking about doing with regard to, to the relationship between physical health and like body function and, and performance, I think is, you know, there are multiple things that go into the importance uh, and like the well functioning uh, community of musicians. And so like, like, Diversity or lack thereof is one aspect. And so is the inability or um, the desire to avoid dealing with very real health concerns. So I think you're bringing your own um, offering to the table. And maybe as an individual, like you wouldn't necessarily be able to solve the imbalance yourself, but, um, you know, just being part of a community and, and, recognizing that that's still an ongoing issue and looking for opportunities to help improve it, you know, would probably go a long way.
1: And I think most of the people who are involved in music are, you know, fairly liberal and open to that. It's just, you know, growing up in Los Alamos, I probably knew like two black people.
0: Yeah.
1: That was just the reality of it. And so it's like a culture. I don't have much, experience with and so if I was trying to you know bring classical music into that realm like I would probably be really terrible at making those connections you know because I'm coming from a place that has not a very good understanding of it but that doesn't mean I don't want that to be something you know available to them
0: (laughs) sure yeah well and um Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just like recognizing to like, you were talking earlier about how nowadays people, the people who are donating money to classical music organizations tend to look for and expect a certain type of like cultural trappings around it. You get dressed up, you behave Mm -hmm. in a particular way. Um, you probably in their minds look a certain way and, um, and like have a certain background. Um, And then the rest of us sort of think, okay, well, if that's the way it's been, then that's the way I guess it should be. So I need to like fit myself into also behaving in a certain way and dressing a certain way and having certain expectations when, you know, in the composer's time, that might not have been the way that it was meant to be heard or performed at all. And so how do we kind of open it up so it doesn't fit within such a narrow box of expectation of how the performers behave, how the audience behaves, you know, like where everyone comes from, all of that.
1: Right. Well, and you know, I think actually that's the thing that uh, the pandemic has helped with. You know, everyone was forced to kind of change up what they do and reevaluate themselves as artists and dive into a digital world where that I think it is a little more equitable in general
0: and you know hopefully there are some deep pocketed donors who realize that like sasson's carnival of the animals sounds just as beautiful if it's being played by a person dressed in like yoga pants as it does by a person dressed in a tuxedo (laughs) that'd be nice (laughs) wouldn't it though that's that's (laughs) all of our ultimate goals (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate your time, your willingness to talk with me, um, and you know your openness. Um, I know that not all of this is like necessarily super fun and shiny and simple to think about, but I think it's really um, interesting and helpful for for me, and I hope for my audience to um, you know hear from someone who's experienced this stuff firsthand and. and knows maybe the nuances the advantages disadvantages challenges all of that more deeply than than the rest of us from our impressions like seeing you know professional musicians portrayed in tv shows or whatever it might be (laughs) um so yeah again really appreciate your time thank you so much for for talking with me
1: yeah thanks for setting this up
0: listening to this episode of My Dilettante Life. I'm your host, Hannah Binder. The podcast theme music was composed by Anna Bradley, with sound editing assistance from Yulie Einarsson. The podcast logo was designed by Ashley Burke, with help from model Ivy Bean. Thanks to our guests and to all our listeners for tuning in. If you have follow-up questions for a guest, send them in for a chance to be featured on an upcoming Audience Asks segment. My Dilettante Life is available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as directly at hannabinder.com slash my dilettante life. That's H-A-N-A-B-I-N-D-E-R dot com slash my dash dilettante dash life. Tschüss!